We always want to be continuously improving regardless of what methodology we're using. And it's amazing how many people are living in chaos. I'm doing this because somebody needs to do it and there's nobody who's going to do it. So I'm going to do it. And that's why so many product managers are in fact development managers and not doing any product management. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here for another Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. Steve, you and I have been talking a lot recently about uh, the life cycle of product management in organizations, this hierarchy of product management needs. And we, we sort of have this utopian ideal of this continual improvement. Can, can a product management organization get to a place of continual improvement? I know it's out there. It's maybe like Jumanji, some fictitious place that you have to know how to get there. But have you ever seen an organization actually attain continual improvement? Well, I actually have. Uh, you know, it's uh, 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 it's it's almost startling when I do. You know, I, I was working with a team recently, and they were saying, "Oh yeah, we do that. Oh yeah, we do that. Oh yeah, we do that." And I'm like, "Wow, you're really together." And one of the things I noted was. They'd been doing it for a while. I think in some of the dysfunctional organizations, product management is this revolving door. And I remember the old uh, rule about you know, employee development. It takes six months to figure out what's going on, six months to do the work, and then you get pissed off and you spend six months looking for a new job. And so if you've got this revolving door, it's like you never get to continuous improvement because you're continually in chaos. You just described every single job I ever had, Steve. Maybe it's you. Months. Maybe it is me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but we on uh, Monday put into uh, the chat or the chat, the community. God, I'm not even my, my head somewhere else. I should have had my coffee earlier. Uh, we put into the community on Monday, this question, and God, when I started putting it on the slide, it made me realize how long the question was, so I apologize for that. How do you approach continual improvement in the practice of product management for your organization, right? So as a product leader, as a product ops person, as a person contributing to the continual, trying to improve your product management team, how do you do that? And May Wong, you know, I, I have to, I have to tell you something, May. I messed up this week. I saw your first sentence. I missed it said more and I didn't click on more. I'm like, May only answered with one with one sentence. And then when I was doing it today and I was preparing for it, I saw the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So you said you need to have people or time dedicated to improvement. In product leadership, really, we're taking the time to consider improvements be that are as a priority over strategy delivery or launch. So talk to me about how you prioritize this and, and your thoughts on this. So like, I think back to how I usually think about product leadership, which is usually, I think, 
primarily three sides to it. When you are in a position of product leadership, you're thinking about people management, overall product strategy, and how you navigate within that realm of things. And then how do you improve the team overall, right? And the and the, the last one, how do you improve the team overall, as in like, what are the processes to make things work, is almost always the last priority because every single other fire will take precedence over it. So generally speaking, I mean, if you think about manufacturing, which is where the term continuous improvement comes from, um, you, you have people dedicated to thinking about the order in which things happen and how do we do things better in a more efficient manner. But like, it's slightly different because it is like, you know, a high rep repetition machine, but it's still thinking, the act of thinking about how do we improve? And these people are like gift entire teams dedicated to thinking about this. Why are we different, right? Like it, it's, I, I feel like having people, um, whose role is to think about that. I mean, you don't need that when you're small, but when, as you scale and as you go through those scaling pains, you're going to start needing people to dedicate time into it. And they're not gonna be able to do their day job while they're doing this because it is a lot of, it is a lot of effort. It's a lot of work to think about it. And it's all change management, right? And change management is even more work. Is this, I mean, I was a little surprised I didn't see the term product operations in your answer. Cause to me, this is a product, this is where product operations, especially in a growing and a larger organization really can create a ton of value. It is, but I feel like product ops is a very specific sub part of product management, right? Like it's, it could be, you need someone in every single department to scale with you. The challenges of product management are not product managements alone. And there's only so much you can do as a product yeah. ops leader, right? If you're talking, thinking more about like a chief of staff where you're much more over the wider organization, then yeah, sure. Then that's slightly different, but I don't know if it's restricted to product ops. Um, but yes, product ops is one of those pillars. Yeah. Um, awesome. I, 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 I love that. Uh, Richard, you made me really think about this, right? And, and I'm going to dig into some of your agile background, if I'm allowed to say that, because I know that you were, you know, questioning the word in, on LinkedIn a, a few weeks ago or whatever. You said, as much as you continually inspect and adapt your product development process, you need to do it the same, right? Talk to me about the approach of continual improvement in product development, sort of in an agile type world. Well, whether right, it's agile and you're doing it at the end of every sprint, or waterfall and you're doing it at the completion, right? You should be having some sort of retrospective on what you're doing, right? And that retrospective covers what went well with the product, but also what went well or didn't go well with the process. What things are working for the team, what things aren't working for the team, what needs to change. And that's where you're taking into account the process that you're working and how it's working for that individual team. And then, right, you're really inspecting and adapting that so that it does become that well-oiled machine where things begin to flow. Um, but you'll find as soon as you have another product that you're going through, things are going to break again. 
uh, because every product is slightly different. Um, you bring someone new on the team, it's going to break again. So you need to constantly be inspecting and adapting that process and adjusting things. And, and sort of in line with what Mayo was saying, it's not just within product development or product management, but at all those collaboration points, right? So Correct. product management with product development and design, product management with marketing and, and sales, product management with leadership. Well, let's be honest, you're never going to get product leadership and finance to do a retrospective. But other than that, you know, uh, I, I, I love it. Steve, and I'm going to come to you next, Leah, that... because... I just wanted to say real quickly that retrospective is the thing most often dropped as people adopt agile. They're like, oh yeah, that's cute and all, but let's get on to the next sprint, you know? Um, and analysis is the only way a company learns and grows. Yeah, for me, and that's why learn is at the center of course. Good tie-in, well done. Yeah, retrospective for me is, right, the one thing that, I'm a little inflexible on, right? It's like, this is the one thing we're going to have. You don't want to do a daily standup? I don't care. Just make sure you're getting your stuff done. Make sure you're communicating. Um, you want to go lean on sprint planning? Fine. Yeah, let's just make sure that we're bringing things on a, on a continuous flow and that everything is prioritized and ready to go. Retrospective? Yeah, we're going to do that one. Yeah. I, and, and it should be like the non-negotiable. Uh, Leah, you actually, you, you, you echoed this, right? Simply put retrospectives. And now I need to, you know, I need to dig in. I wish uh, Dutch was here because we could talk more of the military type stuff with that. You said, if you want to get mil real military with it, AAR. What is AAR? I, I was so, I figured you'd be on here to explain that. I'm glad you are. Yeah, I, I'm actually writing an article about it right now that says perfect timing um, after action review. So okay. you, what I like about an after action review is that I feel like they're more versatile and like lowercase agile than a retrospective or like a post mortem, because I feel like those are bookends. Like you do a retro at the end of the sprint, you do a post mortem at the end of a product, big product launch. You can do an after action review on literally any action or decision you make. It doesn't have to be with engineering. It can be like on a sales demo. It could be in a marketing campaign. And you're asking some of those same questions like, what was the goal? You know, what went well? What actions did we take and what needs to change? And so you could constantly be doing these AARs as you're going. You can do them with yourself, just alone. Like how am I working as a product manager? Just checking in constantly with different team, uh, with different teams. And I think it just boosts trust, transparency, keeps everyone accountable, keeps people collaborating. Um, so I like the ARs for that reason. I, I, it's interesting because it, it's got me thinking about, and, and I'm gonna reference Corey because he's the one who got me to read the book, Thinking in Bats by Annie Dukes, because she talks about you need to do these after action reviews on decisions you made because you may have made the right decision based on the knowledge you in data you had and it still yeah. didn't work out. And, and, and so, you know, she tells the story of a CEO letting somebody go uh, and, you know, them saying, oh God, we made the wrong decision. And, but really they made the right decision. But yeah. until you, if you don't do that 
R, uh, you know, thank you, Tracy, for the pirate term. Uh, <laughs> I guess we could do a whole thing on pirate terms for product management with pirate metrics and now pirate retrospectives. Uh, but, you know, it really, you know, I think too often we assume that if something failed, we made the wrong decision or we did the wrong things, but sometimes things fail not because we didn't make the right decision because of other factors, right? Of unknowns or, or something else uh, that is out there. So I, I, I love that idea of it. Calvin, you've been patiently sitting with your hand up. Thoughts? Let me take myself off of mute here. So I, I, I guess I wanna go back to, to the question I asked in the chat, which is how do you do this in a, in a, in a non-agile world? Because I mean, it's the, the way that I, I don't, in in my role, I'm not involved in in um, in using agile. I know in our organization, we you know some things are agile and and some things are more waterfall. But I mean, I looked at agile more as you know a, a tactical way to incrementally improve a, a project, right? So when I looked at the question, I looked more as as it at it as strategic, right? And. Nice. You know, and, and so well, for, we're talking about ad, you know agile and these you know incremental. I mean, I, I I get that, but I guess that's not the way that I looked at the question. And if you're not in an agile shop, or the role isn't agile, how do you approach these same? How do you address this? Well, first things first, Calvin. I'm the guy who asked the questions, and that's a great question. I should have asked. <laughs> right? uh, second, you know, we didn't say in the question the agile world, and and and. I'll go out and I'd love to get everybody else's thoughts on this is continual improvement shouldn't be agile or waterfall or safe or whatever it is, right? In everything we do, we should be seeking for continual improvement. And, and to Leah's point, whether that's our own individual, and that's what we have in our control is our own individual continual improvement. But, you know, I, you know, waterfall do we really only learn do we only you know think about continual improvement at the end of a two-year cycle or however long that project is we should be doing it you know even if we're even if the commitment is still two years long we should should still be hopefully we're getting better in those two years at what we do at some you know in some way right I, i'd love to i'd love to open that or do you have a Great. comment Great. I, was say, I would submit that it's not just at the end of a project, it's not you know after eight sprints, but it's after four weeks. It could be any time you see something not going well, any time you have to change a date on a project plan, any time right resources disappear, any time something doesn't show up, right? Those are all opportunities to have that little retrospective of. What happened? What can we do better? In, in even in a waterfall environment, we can do that because we can do that within a sub process, or we can do that, uh, you know, in the next, you know, if 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 we're doing a true stage gate waterfall where product management is at the is towards the front and then moves somewhere else to work on another project, you should be able to improve that one as well and not wait uh, to do but, that. Corey, you were you were speaking up, and I'll get to you after that, May. Yeah, I I have a real mental hang up on uh, waiting to improve, and it's not my job to improve. 
it's somebody else's job or it's this other team that does improvement process improvement or something else, or we'll wait two years to get better. Uh, why not get better today? Why can't you try something today? You, my answer to the question of how do you approach continuous improvement is by continuously improving, by practicing, by building the habit, by doing it every day, or at least every week so that you can see, you can change something, see how it reacts, see if it was successful or not, and then change something else, try something else. I, I cannot tell you how many times I have rearranged my trash cans, my coffee, my refrigerator, my pantry, my roadmaps, my uh, burn down charts, my uh, story maps. I am continually looking at how can I make this better with myself, the actions that I'm taking, the product, the thing that we're building, and the team, the way that we're working. Uh, we mentioned retrospectives earlier as the one thing that an Agile project does or an Agile effort does is they do retrospectives. For the last two months, the team I've been working with, we have not done a formal retrospective. The reason why is because every day we are talking about how to improve. And every day we make a little change and we see how it works. And did it work or did it not work? Did we release code faster or we not? Did we hit this goal that we were trying to approach or move more directionally toward that or not? And then the next day we might change something again, or we might let it go for a little bit and see how it settles. But I, I, I have a very big problem with people that say, I will lose weight. So today is March 17th. I will lose weight next next uh, New Year's resolution. That's my New Year's resolution is I will wait to lose the 40 pounds that would not make me a diabetic in, in for nine months. So a uh, couple things to unpack and I'm going to get to May and then Steve because both of them were starting to chime in. First, what retrospectives do you do on your trash cans? So I mean, I have you said two, you do. <laughs> I I have a blog. I have a post that I have not shared yet, but I have two bins: I have a recycling bin and I have a trash can bin. Right? The trash goes out every week. The recycling goes out every two weeks. So which one is in front? <laughs> one of them has to move to get the other one out. Okay. <laughs> and and not only that, but we take things out to the trash bin every two or three days. So which way is it facing? Is it facing away from the house? Or is it facing toward us where we can lift it up and, and save two seconds going in? Those are the types of improvements I've made. I talked about my coffee thing, right? I used to have two cabinets of all my coffee stuff. Now I have one. Now it's on the bottom shelf. Now I can do it right there. Continually improving what you're doing and how you're doing. Uh, and, now, and now I'm, you know, you're pulling me into your space, into your headquarters. And I'm going, wait a second. We keep our recycling bin in the trash can. In the or in the in the garage, the trash can in the alley, just for smell purposes, right? But and we've got a compost one coming too, Leah, soon, because Denver's going in on that. So I may need to call Corey for some advice on. on I will be glad to consult my, with your trash, trash can, can optimization yes. and recycling <laughs> and compost use. Uh, now that I know he's an expert on that, uh, and and thank you, uh, Leah, for asking the question. If they compost in North Carolina, great thing to do. I'm going to get to May 1st. And actually, Corey, thank you, because that was your, uh, that was your, uh, you basically, your rant basically went to your answer from Monday. So I just want to acknowledge that. Well, I need a rant thing like Steve does. You, you, you do. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can help with that. So May, before I went to Corey, you were chiming in. Do you even remember what you were going to say? I do, actually. Uh, so in, <laughs> uh, for those who are listening on the podcast, Corey just had the guy from that feeling movie from Pixar uh, blowing his head. 
whatever the movie was called. <laughs> That'll be my rant sign. There so, we go. Like back to the conversation of non-agile shops and like how do they improve and what at what cadence. I think it's important to realize that if you're waiting long enough to do a launch cycle, you've probably already been through several rounds of layoffs or reorgs. You know, they're changing with or without <laughs> you. Um, at least this has been my personal experience at a, a named company. Um, so like they're changing with or without you, you got to change as well, right? Like change is not an option. Change is just something that's going to happen. Every time you or the team that you're working with are hiring new people or losing people, you are forced to change the way you work. You have to think about what it is that we're doing and is it working, right? Um, and that's just on the individual contributor level, you know, all of these things, how the individual teams work together adds up to, okay, as a group of people who have to work together across multiple teams, like how does that work? And then that scales up into as a much larger organization, how do we work together? And each one of these have much, much, much different levels of complexity. And at each level, you really do need people thinking about that. But like, again, it goes back to whose job is it? Yeah, and we're gonna actually get to that if, if we have the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, man, you just hit on a key pet peeve of mine when people are like, oh, we're really good. And, and Corey, you put in that, well, this is the way we've always done it. We've got it nailed down. And the reality is markets change company strategies change and organizations change. The skills of your team changes and the dynamics and the people on your team change, right? All these variables that are moving and changing. You can't just sit there and say, we don't need to continually improve because it's, if you're static, you fall behind. So Steve, you had had your hand up and then I'll get to Tracy. You still have anything to say or do you not? Remember? I just I just had a little quip, which was, you know, we don't seem to have time to do it right. And so we do it over and over and over again. <laughs> wow, that, that's prophetic. I mean, it's true though, right? So we don't invest the time. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, I was carpenter measured twice, cut once, but I'm thinking more the time you take as a painter to properly prepare goes directly to how quickly you can do the job. And if we're not, right. doing I don't have time to do it right, Grant. I just want to start painting. Oh, no. Now I need a new carpet. Now I need to paint the roof. Now I need to, I need to buy a whole bunch of new uh, outlet covers, whatever it may be. Right. I, 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 I love that. Tracy. Yes. I just wanted to add this, this whole bit about having a clear process and clear goals and have it be documented because so often we're moving so fast when we if we do a retrospective on what we've been doing we might not even all agree this is actually what we've all been doing and so being able to to have things written down and and going slow to go fast so it's like slowing down long enough to go okay everybody's doing this same thing these are the goals we're evaluating against and how do we move forward? Uh, yeah, I, I think we, you know, that's a good, you know, in the retrospective would be, or AAR, Leah, I'll, I'll, I'll get with you. It should it'd be interesting to ask the question, you know, get 
different perspectives of what was happening and what we were expecting to accomplish. Because I think if we, some of it is going to start on the front end where we make sure we set the right objectives uh, and where we go. Tracy, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Chaitanya, you have been sitting uh, quietly observing on your first thing. I wanted to see if you had any thing to add, any insight. Um, not much to add, Grant, uh, but I think one one major thing I always see in organizations, right? I worked in startups, I worked in large organizations. As uh, the team get big, right? The biggest challenge we see is less of uh, learning and more of communication. People generally don't communicate well after a certain while. In the startup, right, it's very easy to talk with people, easy to communicate and learn. But whereas as you no know, company grows big, that's where the real challenge uh, used to come. So I think that's one thing I, I think is very important uh, when we look at continuously improving in an organization. I, I, I think that's key. And I think maybe part of this continual improvement is just good communication. Right. Yeah. Are you communicating with your stakeholders? Are you giving feedback? Are you communicating with your peers? And one thing that Steve and I have found is that at least and, and one of the you know impetuses behind this uh, question is, is, you know, we find that product management teams don't talk with each other. Right. They spend all their time talking with their partner teams. Right. Design, development, marketing, whomever. And they don't talk with each other. And so it, as an organization, there's there's a little there's some gaps in, in, in there's some places that are missing when it comes to doing this. Uh, Calvin, you threw in that question about you know can we do this outside of agile? But I I is do you have other thoughts on this or is that sort of your where your head was? Yeah, that that was kind of where my where my head was, and I also thought about well I didn't put this in in the right I didn't um, write this in I, I thought. That's from a continuing from a continuous process. I thought you know it starts with self and being able to continue to you know to learn whether it's forums like this, where it's forum you know the books behind me or courses whatnot, and sharing upward, downward you know through your peers. You know, so I thought more from a yeah. you know less. You know, and that's kind of where you know my thought process was when I thought when I you know one when I looked. No, they're not decorations. <laughs> when I when I, when I looked at the questions, uh, you know, initially, and then I heard, you know, we're going down the path of, you know, of of agile and retrospectives. Nothing wrong with that, but but I looked at it. I looked at the. I interpreted the question differently. No, I, I love that, and and I've got so many ways I want to go with this. Now, first on the books behind the shelf, we were on, uh, May and I were on a call earlier this week, and. The client just automatically, just out of the blue, goes to Adam Thomas, who was, who's been on some of our calls. What are the books on your shelf? <laughs> but that part of that is something, right? We all talk about the books you're reading. You'll often see on LinkedIn and Twitter, what job, what book should we read for product management? I think that self and reading the books. And, you know, I, I mentioned Corey and Annie Dukes, uh, you know, thinking in bets and how that helped me. I think that there is this thing. And, and maybe this is one of the great things about the, these calls in this community is we keep sharing these ideas and why we have calls, you know, how I think every week on average, one or two books gets put into the chat every week because somebody mentions it and, and Steve must live on Amazon and have like a quick hand to go do those types of things. Uh, so I, it just, I, I love that idea. And, and, and I think that's, we're a knowledge worker, right? 
product management is a knowledge worker job and it's about in, increasing your knowledge. And if you don't read, you can't do that. Uh, so uh, next point, May in the chat. I love that word, self team, team of teams org. So you start from the smallest piece and then you work outwards, right? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> and then I was giving you a chance to do a little more than that, but I, I love it. And then the final thing, Steve, is we've talked a lot about retrospectives, right? A lot of rear view mirror stuff. In my head, I keep coming back to the gap analysis, right? Based on the strategy, based on what we're expected to do, what is important and how are our skills? And I think there's some forward-looking stuff we need to be thinking about. Wouldn't you agree? You're on mute. I have no response to that. <laughs> we always want to be continuously improving regardless of what methodology we're using. And it's amazing how many people are living in chaos? I'm doing this because somebody needs to do it and there's nobody who's going to do it, so I'm going to do it. And that's why so many product managers are, in fact, development managers and not doing any product management. I want to yeah. add a note to that. Um, so I, I, I did this before where I was working in a manufacturing facility and, they, and I said the word continual improvement instead of continuous. And they said, no, the term is continuous improvement. And um, apparently the term is continuous improvement because continual is passive and we want to be actively improving. Like we want to be intentionally improving mm. and the word continuous has that implication. So I do actually encourage people to use the term continuous improvement instead of continual. And, and May, you have to realize that when I wrote this question in my head, I'm going, May told me which one I should use. I can't remember. And I couldn't find the document you did it in. And I, and I guessed wrong. So uh, we'll go just back and change a, all the slides look, and look the up questions the, and say continuous. Look up job postings every time you want to find it. All right, we, we will do that. So I was wishing Paul Tala would be here because Corey, a few weeks ago, started the you know, well, I didn't guess it was, I didn't know it was starting then, but Corey created a four blocker for us. Uh, and Paul actually created a whole I apologize uh, diagram. Yeah. So uh, Corey, if you started this trend where people are now creating consultative type diagrams, I, I don't know if I should thank you or not, but uh, I was hoping Paul would be here and we could talk about that. Uh, with that said, <laughs> yes. With that said, we're going to move to the poll. And the, the poll I found was a very interesting, uh, you know, if you look, I've actually retroactively changed the poll to what I was meaning versus what I said. So what the poll was, was what is the right cadence for focusing on improving the practice of product management within your organization? And I added realistically there. Uh, and we'll get to it when we start talking about it, because I think ideally we'd like to do it more the more frequently daily, whatever, but realistically we see that people struggle to do it. And so this is sort of like, if we're gonna build this practice. So, and that's, I'm gonna go straight to you, Leah, you were the first one who came in and you did another, it depends. And actually we're pretty damn, I need one more person to vote for monthly and it would be, all four would be equal. 
you were one of the others and you said as needed in sync to the release cycle and retrospective. So you're really going back to in your Monday question. Yeah, I think like we, I think at the least weekly, but with room for doing it more often as you make big decisions and actions, because they don't always go weekly, obviously. Yeah, and, and Paul Hatala and Dominic both commented in there. You can go see them if you're there with the same stuff. Uh, Corey, Calvin, and May uh, came in on the weekly. And uh, Corey, I'm going to start with you. And I, I, and I understand your point. You said you don't understand people or organizations who want to wait to get better. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going through a thing called positive intelligence where you're trying to overcome your saboteurs. And I think procrastination is one of my saboteurs. And so uh, it's, I don't think I want to wait. It's just as I procrastinate in it. It's the, 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 the real kind of nugget is if people are choosing not to improve for whatever reason, either we've got to get to this market or we get this hot customer or we can't take time away from doing else they're They are, you either choose your priorities or your priorities choose you. So you either pick, you're going to focus on improvement and making improvement a part of your job or you're going to say improvement is not important to us and we'll do it when we have time or when we're able to. And how often is that actually true? How often do they go back and improve after, let's say it's three, let's say it's quarterly. So after the quarter, how long are you going to take to improve? How long are you going to dedicate to improving? Or who, who is doing the improvement work that then has to get done by other people? I've, I've seen so many where they have like innovation labs or idea labs in companies. And they're like, those are the people that actually have ideas. You rest monkeys just bang away at the keyboard and do the work and they'll tell you what to do. And I hate that model because it separates the people's brains, which is hopefully why we're paying them knowledge work from how fast can you type? That is not the job. The job is how good can we make our product? How, what are the ideas we have? How can we, how can we improve that? It, it's the, okay, I will throw a book in there. Uh, David Marquet's Leadership is Language, Red Work, Blue Work, right? The old style is red work, the, the leaders tell the workers, the blue workers what to do. Um, his model is you do a little bit of that every day. So the line workers, in example, in the Toyota plants and other places that are lean manufacturing plants, they're the ones that make improvements. The people that run the company do not come down and tell them how to improve. They are doing the job every day. They know what can be improved and they are, they are charged with improving that. So they are continually doing that. They are thinking between red work and blue work, thinking work and doing. I, I, I like that. I, I can see that. Now, in, I think ideally I'd love to get to weekly or daily, uh, right? Con, true continuous improvement. See, I said it right there, uh, May. Uh, because it should be something where we're sharpening and we're finding ways to do and we can learn on everything we do. Uh, Calvin, you had commented on Corey's comment on weekly uh, and Dominic's comment that, you know, daily, I mean, ideally daily, right? Ideally daily. But if you, if you added it, what did the word you added in was what? Realistically. Realistically. Um, so, I mean, if, if that, since you've added the realistically, I would change my answer. And I'd probably change my answer to, to I'd probably change it to monthly because I think it just takes a little bit longer to get the organization and get others around you to actually adopt change. 
Now, now, mind you, I voted for monthly when only one other person had and it was behind. I'm not trying to build up my, the votes on monthly for me to win, but if that happens. Uh, well, uh, let me let me put, let me let me state what you said differently. You changed the you changed the the, uh, the phrasing of the question, so my answer changed. I know. I get it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not tied to your winning or not. <laughs> no, I, I that's that that's so long ago. I don't care about that as much anymore. <laughs> May, you also were on weekly. I am. I'm more of like an as needed, but also it's about having the space to talk about it, right? Like the actual change is a lot more work, but in terms of focusing on talking about what the problems are, unveiling the problems, creating that space where you focus and talk about it, um, there's a couple of avenues for that. One is like retros, which is tends to be bi-weekly, right? You've got um, team meetings, which could be weekly or bi-weekly. It depends on your organization and how things are, but what else are your team meetings for if it's not a good place for you to talk about the things that are stopping you from doing your work? Um, and I think it's about being, again, intentional about creating these spaces, like let's talk about the problems. Let's have that space to talk about it because if you don't make those spaces it will never happen and all of these will fall into the back channels in one-on-ones on people who are just griping about the thing that they feel like they can't change especially when it's like beyond the team level you know as a team it's easier to talk but when it's like five teams working similarly but slightly different like that's a whole new different level of context and, and I think as a product leader, I mean, I, I I love where you're going there, but for me, I team meetings were not were I didn't have them weekly. We we you know because I didn't want to take time away from the work because they were all in chaos and heroic efforts. I had one on one, so that was the back channel of them complaining. But I think you know with the, with this conversation in mind, you know I you know I can start seeing where the team meeting needs to be a little more uh, consistent yeah. and, and, so and use it there. So I ran a bi-weekly products ops plus PMs uh, talk about whatever you want session with like a lot, some structure, but mostly it's like there is there are problems, right? There are always problems, especially at the rate of change you're having. Um, but there was never a time where they didn't have things to complain about. And yeah. if, if I didn't make that space, they would all talk one-on-one. -on -one. And they, it wouldn't be to me, but having yeah. created that space, having set time aside for us to talk about how we work together has been a huge, huge difference. I, I get it completely. And I, I voted for monthly, as I, I mentioned earlier. And one of the reasons, and this is where the term realistically came in. So I was part of the team that launched item level RFID at Macy's and Walmart from the standard side at GS1. And, you know, what what the research behind it was, was that what they call perpetual inventory. If we said that we had one pair of frosted blue Wrangler jeans and 36, 32 in, that was right only 50% of the time, right? But the problem was to do inventory in a barcode world, it was very expensive and hard to do. So they did it once a year. And so once a year, you got to 90 some percent accuracy of what you said you had.
but then the further away you get away, the further you get away from it, it, it went away. And, and item level inventory allowed you to do it more frequently. Uh, and so for me, it's trying to like, what is that right frequency? If we know we can't do it, if it's hard to do it because of our commitments daily or weekly, and we can't, I, my thought with quarterly or, or, or longer was even too much. I, I went with monthly because you could build a cadence around it. I think it was more about me thinking about how I would roll it out versus uh, anything else. Steve, did you vote on this or yet? Did not, um, but I actually would have chosen other. You know, I don't think it's time-based. I think it's event-based. Okay, so you're, you're in there with Leah and yeah. and, and not. I, I'm seeing I, I like a problem. That. Let's get together and talk about what's going right, what's going wrong and what we're gonna do about it. Instead of, what was the old line? If we keep going this direction, we'll get where we're heading. Yeah. Corey, you're on mute. I read something last night that was very interesting. There was a story of a, a guy walked up to a kid and said, how do I get to this place? And he said, or he said, how far is it away from this place? He said, uh, the, way, the way you're going, it's 2,496,000 miles. He said, really? Why is it so far? He said, well, because you're headed that way. If you go that way, it's four miles. And that's just, again, if we're traveling, if we're just going and, and, you know, barreling down the road, it doesn't matter where we're going, but we're, damn it, we're going there. Instead of, no. where are we supposed to be going? Oh, that's that way. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's, that's leadership, right? Uh, it, it, there was a story about that in, in, in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Tracy, did you vote? No, but like Steve, I would have gone with event-based. So, you know, okay. after, after a course, after a release, or like others have been articulating, like Richard, once a problem's identified, okay, we have a problem, let's, let's look at what we're doing, what we're doing that we're intentionally doing, and measure it against where we're trying to go. So other, it depends now is sort of this event-based or daily. Richard? So one of the things that I've done every place I've been because everyone, everyone loves to complain, right? So people come to you, they complain, right? My question to them when they complain is, what's one thing you can do today to make it better for you? Mm -hmm. Right? Identify something that can be done right now, a quick little change that they can do, and then what can we do long-term? Right? I love that. And see what people come up with but get them thinking about not what the problem is, but what can we do to change it, to make it better? And that can be done every time someone comes to you with a complaint or you hear something of a complaint. And, and to echo Corey and even a little Calvin on the individual type stuff, and I know that people, and Leah said it as well, if as product leaders, we can create the right vision and strategy for how we want to continually improve, we should allow some of that to filter down and let people figure it out themselves and improve themselves and see where they, you know, it's almost like execution of strategy. We should be able to, everything shouldn't have to roll back up for the product leader, right? There should be some self-directed uh, uh, improvement, right? Here are the things we care about. Where do you need to improve uh, and that type of stuff? Shatanya. to the problem. Yeah, they are. I agree. Weekly, monthly, quarterly, other, it depends. 
uh it was monthly basically uh, because we we generally follow the cadence considering we have uh, larger teams so internally okay. in, in team like, we follow a retrospective of uh, 15 days but for larger or to you know talk about and probably implement change across teams it generally is monthly awesome i i i this you know i actually cory because of my change of realistically i made it the question and and may i didn't have the time to go back into the change it to say continuous improvement what is the biggest barrier to product management organizations doing continual improvement i mean we've we've had a ver- variety of daily to weekly to monthly to event based but it seems like people struggle with it calvin we've always done it this way <laughs> yeah Yeah, this is I mean Cory had put that in the chat earlier though, right? It's like the the girl who asks her mom, "Mom, why did you cut the ends of the pot roast off before you put it in the oven?" "Oh, that's how my mother did it." And "Grandma, why did you cut the ends of the pot roast off before you put it in the oven?" "Oh, the oven wasn't big enough to fit the whole pot roast." Right? You need to figure out how you go there, Tracy. I think it's like anything, you just have to set aside the time and develop a practice around it. So if if it's not part of the culture it's just not going to be done so it has to be incorporated into the culture. So yes. the biggest barriers are are not making it part of yeah. the culture and not which means you don't make the time for it. Yes. Ah okay, I can like that. Richard kind of put it in the chat but that psychological safety, right? So many people don't feel safe doing anything but complaining to a small group of people. Um therefore everything just simmers and no yeah. one takes a first step. It, it's interesting because that goes back to our uh uh survival metrics conversation with Adam Thomas a couple of weeks ago where we talked about uh political safety being uh one of the key things and even back to our conversation on toxic companies and toxic bosses Richard where you talked about you know once you've had that situation people you know 10 years later even though the leader is gone the toxic leader is gone people are still afraid right yeah i i like that i mean in my head i was thinking it was it was the chaos in the time where we're already so you know it's hard when you're so busy right to get out of the busyness to try to change it uh one of my first jobs out of college we had some major process issues and nobody was willing to make time to change the process issues that were causing us to be overloaded so all these firefighting we were doing right well if we can identify a couple root causes to those fires why don't we take a little extra time to on the side to figure out how do we address those root causes and you know i don't know if it was for me at the time with psychological safety i think it was just and maybe it was because people were like I'm just going to do my job because that it's outputs versus outcomes, right? I'm being judged on my outputs uh not on my outcomes, so I don't care, you know, if I have to put up with fires, at least it keeps gives me job security. Cory. So I agree the first one is probably cultural, the second one is probably the priority, make it a priority, make it something you're going to do. The third thing I see is you have no idea what you're going to improve. There is just improvement as a general category of things and you're never looking at this is a hypothesis this is what we want to change we want to change it to do this if for instance for instance if you're if you're this is the problem I'm dealing with today is if our build process takes eight minutes 
to get a release and get it through the system, how can we reduce that to four minutes? Okay, it's not as fast as we could make it, but for today, it's a drastic improvement that lets us do this thing, that lets us release more often. And then maybe next week we say, look, we've been releasing for four minutes for, you know, we, we've done a hundred times at four minutes. If we did this one change, we could shave another minute off. Great, let's do that. But you're continually looking at what you want to do, your target, and the first kind of step you're going to do is that kata approach is these are the things we're going to hypothesize, our test, and our result, and then continue to do that. I love it. May. It's also that product management tends to be the most sensitive to every, every single other change that happens in an organization. So, you know, the introduction of for example, a success org or a new team or um, engineering decides to change the way they work or UX decides to change the way they work or sales decides that they're gonna make decisions a little differently or you have a new CEO come in, right? Or the company has a new board and your direction has suddenly entirely shifted. You know, all of these things, like every single thing that happens directly impacts product. And we're constantly being forced to accommodate every single change in that organization on top of improving the way we work internally, right? Like, so, you know, think about, you know, as an um, individual contributor, your day-to-day -day changes drastically every time there's a new massive change in the organization. When do you have time to really focus on, well, my day-to-day -day is finally a little bit settled, you know, you don't, you don't have that luxury, generally speaking. No, I, I yeah, I, I completely agree. Steve, you're on mute. And to May's point, I think product management is one of the few parts of the organization, maybe the only part that is horizontal. We see everything. You know, we see uh, uh, changes in development methodology, changes in marketing tools, changes in sales methods. We seem to be the only ones that are touching every part of the organization, uh, except for HR, who, you know, periodically does whatever it is HR does. <clears throat> I like that. That's it. Uh, any, la any last thoughts on that question before we get to uh, our final New, new, improved final question. Uh, Leah. I just wanted to add that I feel like a lack of ownership and maybe like a little bit of analysis paralysis like Corey was saying. Um, I, I, I think because product impacts so much of the company, it's easy to be like, well, sales messed this up, marketing messed that up. Like, who's gonna take ownership of actually solving these problems mm -hmm. um, is an important, like just bite the bullet and do and conduct the AAR or retrospective yourself. And just, it, it affects your bottom line anyway, like you're responsible at the end of the day. Yeah. So taking ownership is important. And, and that actually, I mean, that I think that goes with the psychological safety uh, that Richard talked about earlier, right? Sometimes you have to feel like there's psychological safety to do that. Uh, and I have been at companies where <clears throat> the this is how we've always done it and we're not going to change it because you know god came from down from heaven and told us this is the way it's done and it's never going to change so we are uh we're testing a new end question here instead of going with the lightning round which sometimes was tough uh let's start 
leading into the learning. I thought that was with continuous improvement, this was a good place to start introducing this. So <clears throat> what is your biggest learning or takeaway or aha from this conversation uh, on continuous improvement? See, May, I'm just practicing it so it comes out normally with continuous improvement. Uh, Richard, you're on mute. Richard, you're on mute. No, we'll try to get it fixed and we'll come, come back to you. Calvin. I think at the outset, it was interesting to me how when we started talking about, about continuous improvement, we went right to Agile. When I, when I think that it's, <clears throat> that, that continuous improvement is, is not necessarily tied to Agile and more about a lot of different areas, you know, product management related. And I, and I think to, to the point that Tracy made, you know, it really does become about, um, you know, about culture and that the culture helps to uh, foster that belief in continuous improvement. Awesome. Uh, Leah. I think it was something Corey said about giving yourself permission, actually taking ownership. Even if there is a lack of psychological safety, you can slowly build it by starting somewhere. And it may be really rough in the beginning, those, you know, those reviews or those retros, but if you keep at it, you can build that trust and start spreading the ownership around, I think. I love that. Shatanya. Uh, I think my takeaway is something around, uh, you know, defining the change that we want to, you know, achieve, right? So everyone will come up with their own set of ideas, but uh, to Corey's point about, uh, hey, focus on what change that you are trying to achieve and you know try to go towards it so i think that is one big takeaway for me I, I love it tracy yeah i want to say it's just more about mindset than anything else and even if you're not good at continuous improvement if you set aside the time schedule it and start it you can always do continuous improvement on your continuous improvement and get better at it continuous improvement of continuous improvement uh Richard put his answer in the chat. Uh, the difference, what he learned, the biggest takeaway was the difference between continual passive improvement and continuous active improvement. Thank you, Richard. I do think your cat may have knocked the mic out or something. <laughs> Corey. Uh, the realization that some people just don't make it a priority. That they're, they, 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 they pay it lip service, but they're not willing to do the work. Yeah. As I mean, sad as that is. Talk is talk, you know, action is where it's at. May. I'm thinking about how do we get people to take that ownership to start doing the things? I mean, it's, yeah, that's where my brain is at. How do we get people to, so distribute it, atomize it down to the, to the people themselves, not to the leaders Build that themselves. culture of it's okay to change. How do you get there, right? There's a yeah, lot. There is, uh, I'm, that's great. Uh, Steve. Don't wait. You can start improving today. Uh, yes, I completely and totally agree with that. For me, I think it's this 
and I'll go back to Corey, it's, it's you know, in, in May, how do we distribute it, right? How do, how do, as a product neighbor, how do we enable it in the organization? There's some things we can do to help and provide, whether it's through workshops or training or feedback through one-on-ones, but enable our team to know where they should be fo focused, whether it's through our reviews or whatever, through their learning on things and, 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 and put, the, put it in their hands as well. It's a team game, right? Let's do it all together as we do this. What a great conversation. Uh, another new thing we're roll trying out this week is we're going to preview. Uh, next week, the topic is going to be AI's impact on product management. So let's get our, our time, our, our heads thinking about what does this mean? Uh, and uh, we should have some great answers on Monday. In the, I'll have an interesting poll on Wednesday, and we'll have a great conversation on, on Friday uh, on this topic because it seems really relevant right now. But with that said, you know, what a great conversation. We do these every week. Calvin, Leah, Chitanya, thank you for coming on. Tracy, Richard, Corey, May, my partner, Steve. Thank you so much for a great conversation. Again, every week, Monday, the question goes in. Next week, it's going to be going in on AI's impact on product management. Wednesday, we do the poll. And Friday, we have these incredibly vital conversations where we learn, we grow, uh, and, and we have fun. So thanks everybody for a wonderful call. We'll see you next week in the community. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.